what was once this far off, implausible, impossible notion is presently our reality. It was like November of last year and I was setting goals for 2020 and the whole notion, the idea of a fully fledged campus of Highlands Community Church that exists entirely online for people with mobility issues and who are homebound was something that I had pitched to <clears throat> the elders as one of my goals. And so it came up in our elders meeting in November of 2019 and again in December. And it would come up again in January and then in February when Scott Caseberg, another one of our elders, was pitching a study that he's been taking on as well that dealt with similar themes. They kind of overlapped a little bit. And so these things were on our radar. We began to talk about the spiritual gifts and how you could use them from home, all for a few exceptions. And, and so every time we'd revisit it across November and December and then January and February, we would get a little bit more acquainted with the idea. And we never fully landed a study because we didn't have time to, but in March of 2020, suddenly now, all of Highlands Community Church is communicating online. And it's almost as though God is sovereign and knew exactly what was coming. We've been theologically prepped for this for months ahead of time. What was once this far off, seemingly implausible kooky notion is our present reality. For you, the idea of a relationship with God might seem like a far off kooky idea. I mean, you might be currently devoted to militant, nihilistic atheism. You might be very dedicated and like a fifth generation adherent to a totally different worldview or faith system like Buddhism. You might be deep within the world of Mormonism or, or devout Jehovah's Witness. You might be somebody who is really, really fully defining yourself by the LGBTQIA plus lifestyle. Somebody who's, who does not consider the notion of like orthodox biblical Christianity to be something even remotely on your radar. But, but, Remember, those things that are totally far off radical notions now, God could make them our present realities. Why? Because he is the God who calls things into existence that don't exist. He's the only explanation for how physical matter could exist out of absolute nothingness. He is the God who calls to life things once dead. There's no other explanation for the origin of life from non-life. My friend who is far off from God, my skeptical friend who just stumbled upon this because your Facebook friend shared it with you. I want to talk about that notion that keeps you up late at night, that thought that you push to the back of your head, that thought that, wait a minute, universes don't self-generate. Wait a minute, it's obviously impossible for abiogenesis to be even remotely plausible. Like the idea that we would all come to life from non-life is absurd, yet yeah, who we are. Like those things that you push away, I want you to bring them forefront and center because we're talking about the God who calls things into existence that don't exist. The answer to the question that you're seeking, he is the God who, calls things to life that were once dead. Again, the answer to the question that haunts you at night, I want you to see directly from the very word of God, a description of the God you seek because you found him. Scroll no further. I know, I know it's a long shot. I know the idea that you who are far from God right now would join us here at Highlands Community Church and 
stand with us in worship with your hands raised towards heaven and your face soaked with tears as you worship your guts out and praise God alongside us. I know that sounds like a ridiculous, far off, implausible notion, yet here we are currently having church online, just like we thought would be this far off notion last year. It's our present reality. Abraham was given this audacious promise from God. He was in his 90s. And he was told of God that he would have a child. And his bride as well was either 90 years old or 91 years old. And he was told that she likewise, she would have a son the following year. And, and they, they, they named their son laughter, Itzach, the Hebrew word for laughter. Because the idea just seems so absurd. That far off, radical, implausible notion became their reality when they did indeed have a son and name him Isaac. This is what God does. It stems from who God is. He is the God of the impossible. He is the God who calls things into existence that didn't exist before. He is the God who brings to life things once dead. And he can do the same in your heart. And if you're far from him, deeply entrenched in a lifestyle that's completely antithetical to everything gospel, I want you to consider that that same God who brought everything into existence, who brought everything to life, who gave a child to a nonagenarian couple who were radically infertile, that same God could call you from your current sin to repentance in him, from a lifestyle that's radically opposed to him to a, ra- a lifestyle that is radically devoted to him, that you could go from being a militant skeptic to an ardent evangelist. It's possible because with God, nothing is impossible. Here's the moment that God laid the news on Abraham and his bride, Sarah. It's a fascinating conversation that Abraham was having with these physical, earthly, like representations, manifestations, if you will, of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the triune Godhead. They're fellowshipping with Abraham, it's in, it's in Genesis 18, beginning in verse nine. Where's your wife, Sarah? They asked him, meaning the three, the father, the son, the Holy Spirit represented. There in the tent, he answered. The Lord said, so that which was once triune represented in three is now collectively represented by the title of the Lord said, I will certainly come back to you in about a year's time and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent behind him. Abraham and Sarah were old and getting on in years. Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. So she laughed to herself. Am I, after after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will have delight? But the Lord asked Abraham, why did Sarah laugh saying, can I really have a baby when I'm old? Is anything impossible for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will come back to you. And in about a year, she will have a son. Sarah denied it. I did not laugh, she said, because she was afraid. But he replied, no, you did laugh. There's the promise. This is what God is going to write about through Paul the Apostle in the book of Romans that we're going to study today. We're also going to refer to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, which is sometimes referred to as the Hall of Faith instead of the Hall of Fame because it chronicles these people who have done incredible things for the Lord throughout the biblical narrative. Now, Abraham has a couple of entries in this text, a few really. Like he was called to go somewhere before he knew where he was going. 
He was told he would have a son, even in his 90s. He was also asked to sacrifice that son to God. And the Lord, the Lord tested Abraham's faith and he passed that testing of his faith in one massive foreshadowing of the crucifixion event in Genesis 22. But it is this particular, this particular testing of Abraham's faith that is drawn upon by Paul in Romans chapter four. And it's that particular chronicling of Abraham and Sarah's faith in Hebrews 11 that I want to refer to today. He's the God of the impossible. He's the God who creates things. We have laws of physics that prevent matter. Like we just know it's impossible for matter to be created or really destroyed. It just changes forms. And yet our God is the one who creates things that don't exist before. Our God is the one who creates things from, from nihilo, from absolute nothingness. It's also impossible for something that is physically dead to come back to life again. Yet our God is the one who is able to call life from non-life, life from death. So for our omnipotent God, the idea of a couple, nearly a century old each, have a baby is actually quite easy. Nothing overwhelms God. God of the impossible. Would you check your definition for who God is? And would you, letting your heart wonder as you wonder what could be, pray for a future of Highlands Community Church in your own spiritual walk and the fruitfulness that you could bear, the testimony you could have, the story you could personify. Would you pray in proportion to what God is able to do. Remember whom you speak of when you describe the one to whom you pray. Look at Romans chapter four with me. I wanna review verses 13 through 15 and then I wanna get a head start into the, the rest of the text. Here's verse 13. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would inherit the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. If those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made empty and the promise nullified because the law produces wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. So we see this theme once more. It's important to review. If there were no law, there'd be no transgression, but we have the law. It's the whole Old Testament, the, the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, God established the law and then see Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five through seven, like we've all fallen short of it. Where there is no law, there is no transgression. We have a law, therefore we have all trespassed. We have all transgressed. Now, if God had made this promise to Abraham, and applied that promise to us, strictly on the basis of our ability to adhere to the law, then the promise itself will be based upon an impossible premise, which makes it a meaningless promise. So fortunately for you and I, this promise was not based upon our adherence to the law, but it was based upon righteousness that comes by faith. If the promise were based upon the law, it would be nullified. See that in verses 13 and 14. If those, particularly verse 14, if those who are of the law are heirs, the faith is made empty and the promise nullified because the law produces wrath. 
fortunately for you and I, it's based upon righteousness by faith. And this idea of righteousness by faith is gonna come back in Romans chapter 10. Paul's gonna expound upon it further and further. There was this Old Testament righteousness which came through adherence to the law. But now in the New Testament sense, there is righteousness that comes through faith. And so even though, even though we're gonna to get to chapter 10 and we're going to see the whole, the whole apex between Old Testament righteousness and New Testament righteousness personified in Jesus, I will encapsulate it here for you briefly. It's coming up in chapter 10, but here it is now. This is the righteousness that, that, that Paul is proclaiming. It's near you, it's in your heart, it's in your very mouth. Romans 10, nine says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is the righteousness that Paul is proclaiming. There was righteousness by the law, but now it's righteousness by faith. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is righteousness that comes by faith. My heart goes out to you if you've struggled with faith. You've maybe wanted to believe, but you just can't. You're gonna see that same notion come up in this text as we continue. Let's look at verse 16 together. This is why the promise is by faith, so that it may be according to grace to guarantee it to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of Abraham's faith. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. He is our father in God's sight in whom Abraham believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. He believed, hoping against hope, so that he became the father of many nations. According to what had been spoken, so will your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body to be already dead since he was about 100 years old and also the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver in unbelief at God's promise but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God because he was fully convinced that God had promised and he was able to do so. Therefore, it was credited to him for righteousness. Now, it was credited to him not written for Abraham alone, but also for us. It will be credited to us who believe in him who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This is central to the theme of the whole book of Romans. We talked about this in our first sermon in the book of Romans. The basic structure or my personal interpretive lens for the book of Romans begins with this. It is the fact that God is the sovereign author of truth and the judge of free and culpable man. He created and elected Israel as his covenant people so that now because of Jesus, Gentiles may call upon the Lord and be saved. You can see God, sovereign, he's the judge, he's the creator, he's the author of all truth. And we've all kind of innately known this. See Romans chapter one, see our sermon in Romans chapter one. But then, God created Israel as his covenant people. This was the nation that God created through Abraham. So that now today, because of what Jesus did, fulfilling completely the sacrificial covenant in the Old Testament, Gentiles, non-Jewish people may call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. 
The book of Romans is telling us how God makes that possible. That's why we've titled this series, How Christians Are Made. It began in God's sovereign work through the nation of Israel. So the book of Romans is this beautiful conciliatory theological treatise that brings together the Old Testament and the New Testament to show their cohesion and to bring together the Jews who were skeptical of Paul and the Gentiles who were afraid of Paul as Paul himself in a beautiful way personifies this apex between the covenants old and new. God was working through Abraham, but it wasn't just for Abraham's sake. It was also for you and I. It's not just those who are according to the law, but also who are according to Abraham's faith. See verse 16. It's not just the nation of Israel over whom Abraham is the father. Now we all together may be saved by the same faith that Abraham and the same God whom Abraham worshiped. There are these quotes from the book of Genesis in this passage, in Romans 4, verses 13 through 25. I have made you the father of many nations. You see this come up multiple times. This promise that God made in Genesis to Abraham and Sarah that Sarah would have a son the following year. Like that was this, that was this one crazy audacious promise that is our present reality. But then there, there, was, there was more than that. There was more to the promise than just one son. It was through that covenant son that God would create the nation of Israel and all the nations of the earth would be blessed through the nation of Israel. Modern day Jews who don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah struggle because they have this really diminished, really Honestly, it's a puny view of the Messiah because they, like even the people who originally described in the biblical narrative, just thought purely in, in political terms. Insofar as the Messiah could impact Israel and be a, be a part of Israel's immediate political interests, immediately uh, the, the, the disciples upon meeting the resurrected Jesus wanted to know if he was going to free them from Roman oppression. And even today, Jews don't believe in Jesus because they still see conflict in the Middle East. And they, they have this diminished view of what the Messiah was all about, forgetting what the promise really was all the way back in Genesis 12 and 15 and 17 and 22, over and over again. It was not just about Israel as a nation. It was a, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Consider how many times God needs to promise something for it to be true. And then consider how many times God did make this promise to Abraham. It's remarkable in, in Genesis 12, 3, he told Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. I'm gonna create a great nation through you. All the peoples will be blessed through you. In Genesis 15, 5, he brought him outside and had him, had him look up at the sky and count the stars if he could count them. And he said, so will your descendants be. Think about that. Abraham was inside, he was under the roof. God brought him outside to look up at the stars just to remind him of how big he actually is and said, count these stars if you can. This is how numerous your descendants will be. How many of you have been under the roof and you've forgotten how big God is? Don't let the quarantine keep you from stepping outside at night to behold the stars if you can see them. See what Abraham saw. And among these stars, consider which one might represent your story and your family legacy is 
God wasn't just saving Abraham and it wasn't just about Abraham's faith and it wasn't just about Isaac. It wasn't even just about the nation of Israel. It's about all who call upon the name of the Lord today to be saved. All the nations of the earth, everybody who shares not only in Abraham's lineage, but in Abraham's faith, who doesn't just know about Abraham's promise, but loves Abraham's God. These are the stars that Abraham saw when he looked up and you are among them if you believe today. I know it sounds audacious, but those things that seem implausible to us, God is able to make them our present reality. Forget not of whom we speak when we describe God. He is the one who creates things that don't exist. He's the one who calls things to life that were once dead. So God dragged Abraham outside and made him look up at the stars. If you've had a diminished and decaying view of God over time, would you step out and look at the stars? God showed Abraham just how much he was going to do through him and then reminds him in verse seven of the same text, I am the Lord. So God reiterated this promise in Genesis 12, three, in Genesis 15, five, in Genesis 18, 18, he said, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. In Genesis 22, 18, again, he said, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through your offspring. In Genesis 26, four, he looked, he talked about this, the numerous stars of the sky and how all the nations of the earth will be blessed through your offspring. And then in Romans nine of the same text we're studying, we see that not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. But now if we have faith in Abraham's God, if we, according to this exact same text if we if we believe in the one who raised Jesus our lord from the dead that we will be saved that we share in that covenant that we are presently those nations and that nation that god was making through Abraham. The great nation that God created through Abraham wasn't just Old Testament Israel. It's you today as you believe, modern day believers. I'm blessed by the way that God would stretch the scope of Abraham's faith. I'm challenged by the same thing. We've seen this theme come up multiple times in the text. It was credited to him for righteousness. This is the third time we've seen those words appear in the book of Romans. So no need to go back and and review previous sermon videos or look ahead to see if you're watching an old one. It's It's not that we're stuck on repeat. It's the same theme has come up three times in the book of Romans. It was credited to Abraham for righteousness. And that righteousness... That same righteousness, here's the point of all three iterations, may be credited to you as well. Did you see this in verse 24? It's also for us. It will be credited to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. But Jesse, I'm struggling with the idea of faith. I don't know if I completely believe all of this. I struggle with this because I've asked God for things in the past and God hasn't given them to me. And I've I've asked God to do impossible things before, but he didn't actually do them. I can relate. I want to show you the Hebrews 11 entry that describes our own Abraham and Sarah. It's Hebrews 11, 11 through 16. By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past age, since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Therefore, from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, came offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and as innumerable as the grains of sand along the seashore. These all died in faith, meaning all these people listed in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, all of them died, although they had not received the things that were promised. 
But they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had an opportunity to return. But they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. These people in the Hebrews 11, they all died without receiving what was promised. If you've asked God for something or if God's even promised you something and you haven't received it and you die without it, join the club, the esteemed club of Hebrews 11 that chronicles some of the most incredible acts of faith in the whole Bible. Rahab, who housed the spies from Israel. Abraham, who raised the knife to his own son and then received him back. Sarah, who was told by God that she would have a son. All these people who died gruesome deaths for their faith. It says that they welcomed them from a distance, meaning they knew that the things that God promised them, they wouldn't receive in their physical life on earth, but they were called to a heavenly place, a better home, a permanent one that lasts forever. That's where they resided. That's where their hope lasts. In Mark chapter nine, there's this father of an afflicted son who was stricken with some symptoms that were similar to the things that my own son Aiden struggled with when he was in the hospital. Now, they're radically different contexts. I mean, the, the boy in Mark chapter nine was stricken and inhabited by a demon. And that definitely wasn't the case for my son, Aiden. But they both struggled with something similar. And this father struggled to believe. Can you relate to that? Like he, he was, he was like, having a hard time believing in God. And he had called upon Jesus' own disciples to try to minister to his son. And not one of them could do it. I mean, these are the people who walked directly with God on the earth and did ministry alongside him for years. And not one of them could deliver his son. And so Jesus came and spoke with him. And he says, if you can do anything. And Jesus jumps in, if I can do anything, nothing's impossible for God. Anything is possible for him who believes. And the father is so honest and speaks to God in a way that I want you to speak to God about your own unbelief. He says, I do believe, help my unbelief. So Jesus heals his son, explaining later in private to his disciples, this kind of particular demonic affliction can only come out by prayer. I'm really captivated by that moment where the father says to Jesus, I do believe, but there's part of me that doesn't believe. Would you help that part of me that doesn't believe I want you to know that faith is not trying to convince yourself of something that you know isn't real. Hebrews 11 that celebrates all these great people of faith like Abraham and Sarah in this text opens up with this incredible definition for faith. That faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith by its very nature must be able to withstand evidence to the contrary of its central thesis. If your faith crumbles immediately, immediately upon its very first testing, it was never faith at all. You, your heart is like the shallow rocky soil in Jesus's parable of the sower. You've heard the gospel, you believe for a minute, but then the first time that the scorching sun comes out, it withers away and it's gone. You have nothing to show for it. You didn't really have faith to begin with, man. So faith is not trying to fool yourself. It's not deluding yourself. Oftentimes, when people struggle to believe in God, they want to believe, but there are just certain things they can't get over. It's because 
It's not, not because there's something deficient within you that makes faith impossible for you. I mean, we kind of all have that deficiency. It's sin in our nature, but it's not that you are beyond the saving grace of God. It's not some deficiency within you that makes you unsavable. It's that you're trying to operate with a flawed definition for God. It is a, a definition for God that is fractured by its very premise. It's because you are operating under the belief that God is restricted by the same things that you are restricted by. You are struggling to believe in a lowercase g God. And you are not beholding the God of the Bible as he has revealed himself. We've already seen that in his text, that he is the God who calls things into existence that do not exist. Look back to verse 17, because your heart needs to be reminded of this, my friend. It's already written, I've made you the father of many nations. We've seen how that's not just Israel, that's all of us who believe today. He is our father and God's sight in whom Abraham believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. When you consider that you're dealing with a God who creates uncreated things and the God who created all of life itself, suddenly the miracles of the Bible become far more easy to believe. In fact, you start to see them as less remarkable for the breaking of the laws of physics because dealing with God, that's not really impressive. Rather, you begin to see the reason behind the miracles. There was an intention behind the feeding of the 5,000. It was a metaphor for the gospel of God. You begin to ask why God would part the Red Sea. And you see, you begin to ask why the plagues of Egypt. And they make sense. They weren't arbitrary. They were intentional. When you consider the God who creates things from nothingness and the God who is the origin of life itself, all of the miracles of the Bible, instead of being hurdles to unbelief, they become doorways to learn more about the heart and character of God. Why the miracles, the how of the miracles suddenly fades into obscurity. It becomes very easy to believe them once you understand who you're dealing with. But if you try to project upon the Bible a lowercase g God, then you're going to struggle and you're never going to be done with that struggle. May you have the faith of Abraham who hoped against all hope. In our own story of incredible testing, which is an opportunity to demonstrate faith, I made my mind up while my son Aiden was in the hospital that I was gonna continue to pray that God would save his life. And I, I was gonna pray this all the way up to the point where his heart rate monitor sang its ugly tone. And even a little after, I was gonna still pray. I was gonna pray that God would resurrect my son after he died, even for a few minutes after he was declared dead, I would pray that. I already knew, I already had my mind made up before he passed away when it became increasingly likely that he was going to die. That's how I was going to conduct myself. That's what I was going to do. Now, my son ultimately did pass away. I didn't receive in this life that which I knew God could have provided. But like the people of Hebrews 11, my heart is not devoted entirely to this earth. It's there in heaven where my son lives. My heart is in heaven and there. There, we have the full inheritance of everything God has ever promised. In the meantime, I've seen God bring more life from Aiden's story than there was death. There's only one person who died in Aiden's story, but the clinical field trial that was connected with Aiden's case has gone on to produce a successful 3D printed tracheal implant that has saved one life already and in Jesus' name is gonna save even more. 
We've seen God use Aidan's story to lead over 150 people to faith in Christ. I've spoken the gospel using my son Aidan's story in several nations all over the world. We've seen people give their lives to Jesus. There are hundreds of lives in my son's story. There's only one death. Would you hope against hope? Despite evidence to the contrary, this idea that you might give your life to Christ, this idea that God might transform your soul and bring you from your sin to repentance, this idea that it seems utterly implausible, would you come before the Lord with it? Would you consider that you, like Abraham, are faced with an impossible scenario, but God is the God of the impossible? He's the God who brings life from death. I've seen it. He's the God who created everything that is. This text closes with nothing short of a gospel presentation, an invitation for you to be a part of the nation that God created through Abraham. We see in verse 20 that God's promise, he did not waver, Abraham did not waver in his belief. He knew that God's promise was due to God's character. The character of God is impeccable. The capabilities of God are limitless. Therefore, this implausible, impossible promise was fully within God's hands to be realized. And all of this in verse 20 was to give glory to God. Verse 21, because he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able to do. Therefore, it was credited to him for righteousness. Now it was credited to him, was not written for Abraham alone, but also for us. If you would believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, you would be a part of that nation that God created through Abraham. Verse 25 says he was delivered up for our trespasses. Every one of us has sinned. Every one of us. Would you admit it? I've confessed mine. I've confessed mine before the elders of Islands Community Church. My wife knows about some of my sins. I mean, like, I, I know I've confessed. I own my sins. I'm just asking you to do the same thing. Would you confess your trespasses described in this text? He was delivered up for our trespasses and he was raised for our transgressions. Like every sacrificial lamb of the Old Testament covenant that would be established to the nation of Israel born from Abraham, Jesus was raised up for our transgressions. Just like these lambs were raised up in sacrifice, Jesus would be raised up on the cross in sacrifice. But unlike every sacrificed lamb of the Old Testament, Jesus didn't stay dead. And unlike every lamb sacrificed in the Old Testament, Jesus was more than symbolic. It was an actual atoning work on the cross for our sins. And unlike all the sacrificed lambs of the Old Testament that had a 100% mortality rate, Jesus resurrected. That's why the book of Revelation describes him looking like a lamb who is alive, though he has been slain. And this was for our justification, that though we have been sinful, though we have trespassed, we may be justified before the judge, that we would stand before him, our sentence fulfilled in Jesus. It's by Jesus' atoning work on the cross and by Jesus' resurrection that we, though we have trespassed, may be justified before God. He was lifted up for our trespasses and he was raised again for our justification. If you would believe right here and now that Jesus was raised from the dead by God, that same God who brings the dead to life brought his own son to life, Jesus. And if you believe that in your heart right now, do not, do not scroll on. Members of Highlands Community Church, if you wanted to share this video feed with the people in your life who are far from God, who need to hear the gospel, now's the time to hit that share button. We all have trespassed. Every last one of us 
has committed sins. Like we saw in Romans chapter three, there are no good people. We're all just sinners who need the savior. And if God is working upon your heart, if that thing that just seemed totally impossible and far off is now quite actual and very much the reality, you can resonate with Abraham because God told him he was gonna do something impossible and now the impossible seems to be happening in you as you are right here and now being given faith by God. You believe God for the impossible. You know who God is all of a sudden. He is the God who creates things that don't exist. He's the God who brings to life things once dead and he's present right there with you in your pajama pants with your smartphone curled up in your chair in the corner looking at this sermon right now. This text has leapt from its pages to grip you by the soul. Today is the day you give your life to Jesus. Would you believe upon God for the impossible? You would be saved. He is the God who brings the dead to life. And though you were dead in sin when we started, God has brought you to life right here and now. Would you pray with me God's words out to God? Members of Highlands Community Church, this is your time to practice how you're gonna share the scriptures that lay out the gospel. So you practice sharing the gospel while I share with our skeptical friends who've been far away from God, being brought near right now. I want you to pray God's word to God. Pray John 3, 16 with me. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him would not die, but have everlasting life. If God has drawn upon your heart to give you faith, I want you to pray that scripture to God. I want you to pray what we studied two weeks ago in Romans 3. Romans 3.23 says, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then I want you to confess Romans 6.23, that the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Now, I know this is offensive in our culture, but I don't care. I just want Jesus's word to be said the way that Jesus said it. What's the next verse that we're gonna to pray together, Highlands Community Church? It's John 14, six. Jesus himself said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. And so right here and now, aren't you so glad we're not saved by our own adherence to God's law? Because if that were the case, none of us could be saved. Instead, like we saw in this text today, we're saved by the righteousness that comes through faith. And it's summarized in this, in Romans 10, nine. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So what's it gonna be? This is your moment. It seemed far off and implausible, but then again, so did a totally online church this time last year. Look at what God has done. Consider what God is doing. God made that promise to Abraham and he put us to work to make disciples of all nations. He told Abraham over and over again in Genesis that he was gonna bless all nations through him. And then Jesus took the Abrahamic covenant and turned it into our marching orders. And it's why you're listening right now. Last week, two people gave their lives to Jesus and right here in this very moment, one of was in Brazil on the other side of the other, other side of, uh, of the planet from you right now probably so all of these nations are becoming a part of the nation of God when Abraham looked up at the stars and saw the nation that God was going to create through him you were one of those stars because of what is happening right here and now would you pray these verses out to God with me and become a part of the covenant nation of God God, I believe that you love the world so much that you gave your one and only son that if I would believe in him, I would not die but have everlasting life. And I confess, I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I confess that the wages of my sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I believe you, Jesus, when you yourself said that you are the way, 
the truth and the life. And there's no way I can come to God the Father except through you, Jesus. And so drawn by the Holy Spirit of God, I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. Highlands Community Church, would you say Jesus is Lord? Say it, Jesus is Lord. And for good measure, type it in the comments too. Jesus is Lord. God, I believe in my heart that you raised Jesus from the dead. Now God, let me be saved. Let me be saved. Let me be saved. You're the God of the impossible. You're the God who calls things into existence that don't exist. You're the God who calls to life the things that were once dead. I testify to that. I know that because I was dead, but I'm alive right now in Christ Jesus. I was far from you, disobedient to you, but I cannot wait until Highlands Community Church comes back together again, physically and on campus, where I'm going to be baptized and join my church family. And the once impossible is going to be the reality. Me with my hands raised towards you, surrounded by my faith family. In Jesus' name, amen.